Here I am from COVID Quarantine Central. You know, no one would have known that if you wouldn't have said anything about it. I know, but I'm like quarantined, which is hard. So, anyway. Hi, Hi, Carl. And uh, as always, we have a special guest, but today we have two special guests, and they're two of our favorite people. We'll talk to Ron Stevens about Keep Live Alive St. Louis coming up next. And then we'll talk to Max Foising. We'll talk about The Dig around minute 20. Around minute 30, The White Tiger. Around minute 35, a detailed discussion about WandaVision on Disney+. Plus. Around minute 51, News of the World and Promising Young Women are out on the DVDs. And then the top movies of 2020 around minute 53. And then around one hour, the award season is way too long. So hi, Ron Stevens. Hello. Hello, and man. Hello, Carl. Hello. And hi, Max Boise. Max Hello, everyone. Movies. Hello. Hey. Uh, Carl and Max are partners in Max on Movies, and so they always have a big weekend. That's my second podcast. I'm podcasted everywhere. Oh, my yeah. God. But the reason we have Ron here today is he has a special project that we're very excited about, and actually we're part of it too. And it's called Keep Live Alive. So Ron, I want you to explain the whole thing. Sure, Uh, it's actually called Keep Live Alive St. Louis um, because we uh, are raising funds for the many, many people in St. Louis and the surrounding area who work in the live entertainment industry who have been out of work since last March, March of 2020. It was on March 15th when everything in St. Louis and live entertainment was shut down. And it is overwhelming what that means, how many people lost their jobs on that day. Now, sure, some collected unemployment for a while, some of the clubs like, like the pageant have made partial comebacks that they're all struggling. They're not making money. They're just hanging on is what they're doing. But Live Nation had to shut everything down. Hundreds and hundreds, not just concerts. We're talking sporting events. We're talking local theater. We're talking the Muni was shut down for the first time in 102 years. It is just amazing the the uh, revenue that was lost in this city alone because of COVID and because of the pandemic. And they're, they're, they were the first really to suddenly feel that impact back in March. And they will be the last. These people, we're talking about the ticket takers, the bartenders, the, the ushers, the sound engineers, the lighting engineers, the, uh, the staging crews, the, the, the managers, the, the promoters, the list goes on and on and on. In fact, we asked Pat Hagen at the pageant, and it'll be in this program that we're producing. We asked him how many people typically on a good night at the pageant, if you've ever been there, you know the size of the place, how many people are working? You know, you see, you're in the audience and you're looking at that stage and you're looking at those performers, but you're not realizing that all around you, you're surrounded by people who are employed that night and are making a living being there. He said 90 people on that night alone. Sammy Hagar is in this special with us. There are a lot of uh, national stars on it. Sammy said as many as 500 people lose their jobs when a tour is canceled. I mean, that's just amazing. 
So we're creating this program called Keep Live Alive St. Louis. It's a one hour video special starring Lynn Van House and Carl Middleman. Oh, I'm, Yay. I'm giving away too much. They're actually both in it. What's interesting is, is Lynn, of course, is an expert on local uh, uh, theater uh, stage, uh, local stage. And Carl is uh, an Easter egg. In, in now, but I also I also work in live entertainment. I work for the St. Louis Blues, and I have not been at a game until Monday. Will be ten months since. And the Blues gave everyone that works for them. They gave them a five hundred dollar bonus in April when everything went down. But no one had. There haven't been any events at Enterprise Center since March fifteenth. And Carl, that's a great example because that is not your full time job, right? No. Okay, and that's true of a lot of people who work in live entertainment, but it's important income. You felt the difference when, when you were told you're not gonna be getting that check now. Absolutely. So, so that's true of like, for example, we talked to a security guard, a woman who is a single mom of three kids, who is a security guard for Live Nation at uh, um, uh, Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. And that was a part-time job. I mean, she only worked when there was a concert there but that was a huge part of her income. And she's been struggling trying to make that money up ever since. So this program, which by the way, you can participate in right now, if you go to Facebook and uh, go to Keep Live Alive St. Louis or Keep Live Alive STL, I think both of them are on there. And there's a group you can join. And we're already raising funds and we really have not started the, the formal campaign to raise funds yet, but we've already raised over $17,000 just wow. from giving yes lynn you had your hand up no i just was saying that i i'm in that group oh oh okay good and, and by the way part of the money will go to get lynn a higher chair because this is a podcast you can't see the camera because we're on zoom but yeah all she'd have to do is just do this and there you go yes yeah, there so, you go yeah much nicer lynn <laughs> so uh we uh through the st louis classic rock preservation society which is a local 501c3 that was a uh, created five years ago for the purpose of people who enjoy classic rock music or beer, in my case. Huh. We, uh, we put this organization together and every year we have raised around $10,000 a year uh, for local charities. Um, uh, Honor Flights is one that received most of our funds. Uh, uh, but, but this year we couldn't do that. So we, we thought, let's think bigger. And we, we put this uh, organization called Keep Live Alive St. Louis together through our 501c3. And uh, the entire team has been working on this special. And as I mentioned, Sammy Hagar is in it, uh, Kevin Cronin from REO, um, George Thorogood is in it. Uh, wow. There. We have four radio stations backing on this. Carl, I hope you don't mind me saying what the stations are. I have I, worked for all of them, so I'm all right with it. <laughs> well, we have Casey, of course, which is uh, still a powerhouse in St. Louis. They came on board immediately and they brought along with them WIL, 92.3 WIL, 106.5 The Arch, and The Point, which is 105.7. Yeah. And they're all very enthusiastically in, uh, involved with this. Uh, they will begin uh, kicking with promotions around mid-February. Um, uh, I'm... I'm I've received overwhelming cooperation from the Fox Theater. They opened their doors to us. We filmed the open of the program at the very 
empty, yet still fabulous Fox. Uh, River City, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. I still want to say Riverport and everyone's- well, River City, they have shows too. Dennis DeYoung used, would be coming every Valentine's Day. I still call it Riverport because- Because it is. It is, damn it. So we, we did, we, we filmed out there. Uh, we filmed at the pageant at Del Mar Hall. Uh, Lincoln Theater in Belleville. Yeah, that's right, Lincoln Theater. And that's where, that's where we filmed in. Uh, we filmed at the Muni and we filmed uh, all over St. Louis. All these people said, what do you need? They opened their doors to us and gave us what we need. We had the cooperation in addition to a lot of national artists, a lot of uh, local celebrities, including uh, Lynn and Carl. And all the jocks and the WIL jocks and, and uh, all the Hubbard jocks actually, uh, and beyond. So it's 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 a, a quite an undertaking, and uh, it's been really a lot of fun to do this, and it's been a challenge to do it, wearing masks and with COVID and keeping our six feet of distance, and everyone was extremely cooperative, and in over three months of filming, and hundreds of people, we've only had one case of COVID so far, and and it was Lynn. No, no, actually, I forgot about Lynn, but this was, I mean, someone was on the set and three days later reported they had COVID. Oh, We've wow. Been, as you know, Carl, you, you and both of you, you signed something, a COVID right. paper saying, you know, you were there and how to reach you. Uh, so anyone who was there that day was contacted. And uh, so far, it's been limited to that one person. But I do know, besides Lynn, I know four people that were involved in this production that already had had it. So some of them, some of them were like the safest people to be around because they've already had it. Well, like like John Hewlett, who's a journalist Johnny. to start with. It's interesting, really. A lot of people who really, really worked hard to not get it still got it, and which yeah. is a scary, scary thing. Uh, meanwhile, there there are guys out in bars in St. Charles going, "Ah, I forget, COVID's just another flow." <laughs> I know it's it's just really I think right now with the surges it's just pervasive, and it's a matter of time. It, it is a matter of time. It's true. I'm, I, you know, I mean, even as careful as everybody is, there's just you know. Yeah, I one, remember uh, you know, last April. I asked on Facebook, "Does anybody know anyone who has COVID?" And there were a handful of people saying, "Yeah, I know someone who had it," and blah blah blah. Now, if you ask that today, you could probably name people who died from having COVID. Yep certainly name a lot of people who have it. Well, the, the numbers are just so, so, so high. But I did notice your set was very professional and people are very committed. And there were, um, that Tyler, he's a, he's a good guy. The young guy that was helping Jack. Oh yeah, Tyler Armstrong. Yeah, yeah, he, he is a good guy. He, and, 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 and what we tried to do with this project is, is be as diverse as possible. And, you know, that, it's more of a challenge than you realize because you know who you know, you know, and you start with who you know. So we ended up with a lot of old white guys, but uh, <laughs> we slowly branched out into uh, women, younger guys, black, white, everything. You know, we, we tried to find everything we could to, to represent St. Louis as best we can, but on a, on a musical level, on a talent level, and then dealing with live entertainment business. And uh, we're very proud of uh, what, what we've done with it. Uh, and it will air on the one year, just about on the one year anniversary of the day everything was closed down. It will air mid-March, I think March 
13th or 14th. We haven't set the exact date yet, but you can go to Keep Live Alive St. Louis on Facebook, or you can go to keepliveallivestl.org. I am there right now. Is there anything there? It's a wonderful thing you're doing. And uh, the word from Broadway is now they're moving it to fall. Yeah. Well, well the Muni's the Muni's going to do it uh, the fifth of July. That's when their target date is. Right. Who, who is that? Carl? The Muni. Oh, the okay. Muni. Yeah, they they want to make this season. In fact, right now their entire stage is totally ripped up. They they're rebuilding the stage, and it's uh, going to be an awesome place. But that was already in the plans to do that for the 2021 season. Keep live alive. STL.org is the website. Yes, you can donate now or get involved. Go to the group on, on Facebook page and get involved. Yeah, do whatever you can. And you do you are offering some really nice uh, prizes and giveaways. Yeah, we have fun with, with donations. That's, that's a good point. We, uh, we've had so many people. In fact, we, we have a backlog of them now of people giving us cool items to as incentives, gift incentives. Um, but keep, keep in mind, most people who are donating aren't asking for any items. They're, not, they're, they're just donating. But uh, every now and then we'll put something up like uh, uh, John Neiman's old book about 40 years of concerts in St. Louis and Casey Radio, that table, top, uh, that coffee table book, which is beautiful. He gave us a dozen copies of those. Uh, Reedy Press gave us tons of books about St. Louis and sports and stuff, which were really cool. Um, I, I, uh, somebody bought... Uh, several copies 25 copies of the the casey documentary that i produced and put them up to give away i'm in that too oh yeah you are in that <laughs> i'm at the very end <laughs> we can't escape carl middleman like waldo he's everywhere i'm everywhere goes <laughs> uh so well, thank you Ron. We have a lot of other surprises uh coming in the way of that too because so many uh so many people have given us items. Uh, it's just a matter of us having the time to get them up there. There's just so much to do between now and then. Yeah. Um, but you are full steam ahead, which is great. So yes. please, please give if you can. If you can't give, you can share. Go to the Facebook page and join and share. There are videos up there. There are videos of several of the rock stars who have contributed stuff. Uh, in the show itself, there will be some really great surprises. I'll give you a little idea. Uh, we asked a lot of these stars um, to just, you know, just say something about it and, and say, you know, go to go to keep live alive stl.org and do it. Kevin Crone. St. Louis has a very loyal following. You know, people, homegrown uh, celebrities, musicians, they have a very loyal following. But Kevin Cronin decided he was going to do more. So he did a whole song for us. Wow. And it, it is just going to be the centerpiece of this show. We have six songs in the show, five of which were done specifically for this show. They were produced for this show. One is from Pat Liston. It's a song that uh, from, the, from Mama's Pride. Uh, when Pat was around 40 years old, which was 30 years ago. A while ago. Um, yeah, it was... Uh, in the mid 80s, so maybe he wasn't quite 40, he might have been 35 or 36, but when he left Mama's Pride, 
he wasn't doing anything and he, and he missed the audience. He was really missing a live audience. So he wrote a love song to the live audience called Together Again Tonight. And he never released it. He recorded it. He played it, he played it the first time he went back on stage in 85 or 86. He played the song for that audience. And he played it a few times since then. But he gave me a copy of it about four or five years ago. And I heard it and I thought, my God, Pat, this is the best song you've ever written. This song is just really would be a number one hit. It's, it's very Leon Russell-ish. It's just a very beautiful song. And uh, I always thought, we got to do something with this song. Well, I asked him to be on the show and I said, would you be interested in doing a video of this song? So we put him at the Sheldon. We put him on stage at the empty Sheldon with a grand piano. And he did the song for us. And it just came out great. And I can't wait for people to hear that. Oh, song. great so, acoustics too. So it's Lynn, the recording of it is just amazing. We didn't have to do much of anything, put mics around because the acoustics in that room are so good. Yep. Oh, it just really they are. Uh, speaking of Kevin Cronin, if anybody doesn't know who he is, he's the lead singer of REO Speedwagon. Except for one, except he doesn't sing on the original Ride in the Storm Out. He sings on every other big hit they had, except one that a lot of people know. Well, this is how old this is how old I am. When I was in college, REO Speedwagon was the happy hour band at the Red Lion in Bloomington. Oh my God. The happy hour band. Woo. <laughs> That's you know, that could have been their name. They blew that. <laughs> yeah, well, they were U of I boys. Uh, and he did he did uh, an unplugged version of one of their hits. I'm not going to tell you which one. And he tied it into this whole thing and did this talk up to it. And I didn't even see it coming. I didn't realize he was working his way into this song. And it just came out great. So that, so those two songs right there are, are really going to be fun to have. But we also have some country stuff in there because of W.I.L. Mm -hmm. And the local artist, Alexandria, uh, Alexandra Kay is her name. Oh, she you know was one of, she, I know her well. She's from uh, Millside. Waterloo. 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 Yeah, right. I directed her in, I directed her in community theater. Seriously. She's such a sweetheart. She is. She, uh, she was on The Voice and lost. But from that, she got a, a, an episode of West Side on Netflix. And she was on that. And they filmed it in, actually in Millstadt, not in Waterloo. And uh, from that, she got a record deal. And her first single was supposed to be released last April. And then COVID was there. So the, they tried to pull it back. So it just turned into a kind of a, a mess because they, you know, it was too late to stop it from being yet. They weren't going to back it because of COVID and blah, blah, blah. Well, I asked her to do, and the song is so appropriate for this show. I said, can you do a video of this song? So she went over to Mikey's uh, bar in, in Waterloo and, uh, and recorded it there. Mikey's pub, I think it's called. And recorded it there to an empty audience. And might, be, might be in Columbia, Mikey's. In Columbia? Yeah, I think so. Um, her uh, her video to Hard Candy Christmas is really nice, and yeah, I have downloaded all her iTunes because she hit number one on iTunes Country this summer with that yeah. I kind of don't. Isn't that right? Her song. You're talking country music. I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, yeah. she's very talented. I'm just saying, and I've written about her a couple times for the B and D. Oh, good. I'm I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, yeah. So so I was very lucky to get people. You know that had 
songs that were appropriate for uh, this show, as opposed to just throwing a song in there, you know. And the only the only song that will be in there that really is just in there is George Thorogood, and it's not the whole song. It's just that he, he gave us some videos. He said, "I own Rice Cities, and I don't know what to do. And you want to do something with it?" And I said, "If you do something else, we, we'll throw it under you or something like that." So, so we'll have nice. a little. Well, very cool, Ron. Um, we will help promote it. So we're Thank doing you. it right now. Thank yeah. you. You are right. <laughs> Keep live alive. STL.org is the yeah. website. Say it again. Keep live alive. STL.org. Thank you so much. Max, good talking to you, man. <laughs> See you, Ron. Bye-bye. Always a pleasure. So, Max. guy. Yeah, Ron is a wonderful uh, guy, and we love using his studio, but we are on quarantine. <laughs> We're on Zoom right now, and, you know, I, I didn't really, I know Ron was like, hey, good talking to you, Max. I didn't really chime in too much there because I'm, like all of us, at my house right now, and I had some cats that got downstairs in my basement, which is where I'm joining you from, and then my son was down here for a bit, so I was off camera a bunch and coming back and just That's kind okay. of waiting for my turn. So no disrespect to Mr. Ron Stevens, of course. So Lynn, I have to apologize that I did not watch any of the Netflix movies. You know, Netflix announced that they're going to have 56 movies this year, a brand new movie every week, even though they're only 52. I wonder if they came up with this plan before or after that they realized that they had 56 movies that they were going to do like, oh, we could do like what HBO does and have a new movie every week. But now Netflix put out two movies this week and I didn't watch either of them because I watched WandaVision and then watched some Crunchyroll with my daughter. I also watched WandaVision. So did so I. Should we and watch? I, should we talk more. about WandaVision or should we talk about The Dig? Well, we have a whole list. So what do okay. you want to start with Let, let's start with the dig which the trailer to me looks very boring <laughs> i know who knew digging in the dirt would be so fascinating and i was honestly not looking forward to this because i thought it was going to be one of these stuffy british things and i'm sorry i sound very uncultured but sometimes the british that stiff upper lip and and it just drives me crazy is this so, based on a true story Yes, it's based on a true story. It is about the biggest archaeological find on English soil, and it happened in 1938. And what's really fascinating about this story is uh, director Simon Stone, he's Australian, uh, it's based on a novel. And so whoever wrote the screenplay packed it with interesting characters. Uh -huh. So of course and you're going it's... to have the conflict with the with the uh, you're going to have the conflict with the British museums. There's a provincial museum and there's the big British museum, and they're fighting over this stuff. But it is on land that is owned by Carrie Mulligan, who gets she's to use a... her real voice for once. Yeah, she is a widow, and there's these mounds of dirt on her property, and she calls in Ray Fines, who's known as the excavator. And he is of a, he's a simple, humble man. He's, he's based and on a real he, person. Yeah. And Basil Brown. And he is not one of these highfalutin degreed guys. And he's the digger. And so he starts digging and he uncovers a ship, a ship 
from the sixth century that they tie to the Anglo-Saxons. So it it's even before the Vikings. So I've already fallen asleep listening to this synopsis, uh, but that doesn't <laughs> but, mean. But you love Carrie Mulligan and you love Ray Fiennes and you like Ben Chaplin and Lily James. The cast sounds great. And I've actually heard this is a really great movie. I know a fellow critic, uh, pal of ours, who has already watched it twice. So yeah. even though it's one of those movies that might sound boring, which it certainly does to me, it could be completely engaging. It is. I was so shocked because but it's <laughs> characters. It's I thought it was going to suck and it didn't suck that bad. Well, because Ray Fiennes is so good and he plays a character that we've never seen him play before. And he uh, takes a shine to Kerry uh, Mulligan's young son, Robert, and he takes him under his wing and he that and this little creepy. boy just well, it does sound like, but but the, the little boy's fascinated with this project. And so they let him help you know, dig and, you know, they give him things to do. They don't act like scram kid. You're in the way. So Carrie Mulligan uh, has a special bond with Ray Fiennes. So How all special he, of a bond with Ray Fiennes. Well, he's married. It, it's, he's a very eccentric guy. Okay. So uh, he, oh, in fact, I, isn't the uh, Monica Dolan plays her. Yeah, which is, it's really cute. It's really cute. These characters are fascinating. So these highfalutin museum types want to push Ray Fiennes out of the way. And Carrie Mulligan is obstinate. No, she gives him credit and they don't like him getting the credit. But he's the one that discovered it. So it's well, that it's kind he of- was self-taught. He didn't, Basil Brown didn't like go to these schools that all these Brits, they, it's all about class over there. Yeah, so it's really interesting. And then Lily James plays this woman who is dismissed because she's a woman, but she's married to Ben Chaplin, who just doesn't give her the time of day. And then there's this rakish, uh, there's this uh, very handsome uh, guy that's related to Carrie Mulligan that's going to go in the RAF. And that is played by Johnny Flynn who uh, was in Emma and was in Beast with Jesse Buckley. And I keep telling you guys, you got to see this movie, Beast. That's where I first saw Jesse Buckley. He played played Bowie in the movie Stardust from last year. Which really tanked. So, (laughs) but anyway, but he's a handsome dude and he's taking all these photographs with his little, you know, uh, 1938 camera and he is capturing Lily James doing a lot of the work. Now, you know, it was supposed to be Nicole Kidman in the uh, Edith Pretty role. And, and I, you, we all know how great of a job that Carrie Mulligan did this year in Promising Young Woman. Would, could you have seen uh, Nicole Kidman in this role? Mm-hmm. Carrie Mulligan, too, I too think, old really now? Fits. Yeah, I think it fits. I mean, I don't have any idea what the real person was like. So I don't know, but Carrie Mulligan does a really nice job and she and Ray Fiennes are terrific together. Uh, she's really good with um, all the, you know, with uh, standing up for, for the people that worked on her property. But the production design, I mean, to have the remains of the ship, like the bones of it, you know, I mean, it's pretty good production design. And it is in Suffolk, Suffolk? England. And so, of course, it's near water. And then we got the threat of a looming World War II because 
Germany invades Poland while this is going on, and then England goes to war, and so there's this whole thing about World War II, and so apparently in real life, they hid all these treasures that they found. Oh, the ship has a burial chamber, so they found all this stuff. You know how, like, when they found the King Tut uh, digs, and it was all these treasures? Yeah. So they have all these treasures, and so they hide them, apparently, during World War II, so nobody would get to them. But they are in the the British Museum now, and Ray Fiennes' character has gotten full credit for what he did. Good. It's good that Ray's on this side of the war again, finally. Yeah, well, he's just one of our great actors and he just immerses himself in this character and you it's know, a- I, I bet that Nicole Kidman would have been just fine in the dig probably better than she'll be as Lucy Ricardo <laughs> it should be Deborah Messing Deborah Messing is angling for that job and well, Deborah Messing is a great Lucy Ricardo and apparently uh, the deal is not done I mean for those of you, you who don't know Aaron Sorkin wants to do a movie about uh, Desi and Lucy Desi and, and Lucy. he wants to hire Nicole Kidman and um, um, uh, Penelope Cruz's squeeze what's his name uh, oof. he was oh, in the last I Pirates saw this. I saw this um, no, it's uh, Anton Chigurh what's his name Oh, um, uh, Javier Bardem. Javier Bardem. Thank you, Carl. You can edit that. I Javier will. Bardem. And uh, but uh, but the deal is not done yet. And so they are they are not officially signed. And the, the Internet has just blown back that. Uh, first of all, Javier is not Cuban. So that's weird that he'd be playing a Cuban. And then Nicole just seems far too old, really, for yeah. the role. And, and the only she's thing great. she has is red hair. And that's it. And I love Nicole Gaiman. She's an incredible actress, you know, but but I just think that. They're both all wrong for this part. Deborah Messing, Will and Grace did a whole version of I Love Lucy, and Deborah Messing was great. Even Megan Mullally was good as it, but Deborah Messing was a great Lucy. Maybe Sorkin doesn't like her. Possibly. All right, Lynn, there's a movie that I was very excited for, and it was in my Netflix queue, and it's in theaters right now, and it's out on Netflix next week. The White Tiger. I was looking forward to it. I was looking so much forward to it. And then I heard that I should not be looking forward to it. I didn't care for it. I, um, But before we get into that, The Dig is currently in theaters and will be on Netflix January 29th. The White Tiger will be on Netflix this Friday, the January 22nd. But is in but select it is theaters now. In select theaters. Okay, so it's about the caste system in India. Which we've, so had, we have, we've had many American movies about this before. And yeah, I'm sure it, India it, has, it, Bollywood is probably stacked with movies about the caste system. Right. And, and so it's, you know, if you've seen Slumdog Millionaire, uh, this doesn't have a game show, but. Well, I know. didn't want to say that, but yes. So basically this is based on a book. This is a guy's climb out of extreme poverty through the ranks where he becomes a biz, a wealthy business owner himself. But I was with it till this horrible plot twist happened and then it ruined it for me. Is it, is it a, is it a trail? Is it a story of betrayal and deception and revenge? Yes. Oh, I have a question. 
Is there a tiger and what is the color of the tiger? It's white. <gasps> and it's a metaphor. Is there a big blue sky? <laughs> There's a metaphor for the tiger. He How's Mrs. Jonas? Yeah. Um, Mrs. Jonas is actually very good. I have not seen her work before, but she is very charismatic and well, very she's lively. One of the biggest stars in Bollywood. She has been for a she long time. She was Miss World yeah. <laughs> 20 years ago. No, yeah, she's she's huge. So yeah, she's very good. And this guy, uh, Raj Kumar Rao, uh, this is the first time I think they've worked together. He plays her husband, Ashok. She plays a woman from Brooklyn who he oh. marries. And she takes a shine. The lead guy, Bakram, is Adarsh Gurav. This is his he, first movie. <laughs> and he he's actually very good. He plays their driver. And yes, then, but then... Uh, but as, you, as, as you, all, as is all, this Count of Monte Cristo? Is this what this is? Well... Yes, it, it is. It's the Count of Monte Cristo. So it has a lot of twists and turns. As and, in like the Count of Monte Cristo? That's a yeah. great story, though. I mean, I, I love that story. Uh, yes, so, but how many times can you make the Count of Monte Cristo? They make an allegory between uh, a rooster coop. Like, you're either waiting in line to get your head chopped off, or you kill your master. Huh. So that's the whole point of the story. The It's very long. I don't know how long this novel was, but it's two <laughs> hours and five minutes, and it feels like it's four hours. And once uh, Mrs. Jonas, uh, uh, Priyanka, Priyanka Chopra, Chopra. Uh, leaves uh, the screen, then it gets really dull. So, <laughs> um, it's about uh, the book is only three hundred and eighteen pages. So that's not they must have used every inch of the book. It's just another story about capitalism, and then of course we have corrupt rich people, and we have extreme poverty. So it's just, I was, I thought it was going to be more special than it was. I was looking forward to it until you told me not to look forward to it. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to watch it. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the biggest thing in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is WandaVision, <laughs> which is weird because this is supposed to be the beginning of phase four. Where does that, Max, I'm asking you, where does this put Black Widow? Black Since Widow it, takes place at the same time as Civil War. And so it is a movie that runs concurrent to Civil War. And the original Marvel plan was that they were going to release Black Widow in theaters. Then they were going to release Eternals in theaters and then WandaVision. And so they've actually moved their whole slate around. Uh, we are getting Black Widow and Eternals in the next couple of months. I mean, pandemic willing. Uh, but so now the official kickoff of phase four is WandaVision, which I only know it takes place in real time in the Marvel universe, meaning after Endgame and Endgame. Far From Home. Yes. So and after those do we events. know do we know the timeline of Eternals then? So, so technically Black Widow would be phase three still. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, and I, I've heard that. The, and I, of course, we don't know. Nobody has seen Black Widow. No. Uh, but uh, but I've heard there's no 
wraparound. There's no flashback. There's no flash forward. It really is a Civil War era story. Of course, through some of the dialogue and character development, we'll be able to figure out, you know, some more about Natasha's background and her motivations uh, and everything. But uh, but no, that really is set during Civil War. Eternals, from what I've been able to ascertain, takes place pre-everything. It's like Dawn of Time type stuff. And so because they're course, eternal. Yeah. And so way before, you know, people always say, well, what's the first MCU movie? Is it, uh, is it Captain Marvel? It's, Cause it was the nineties or, no, it, or it's, it's Captain America, uh, you know, uh, first Avenger. Cause it was in world war two. Well, it's going to oh. be Eternals. That actually is going to be the first one. Now, of course, the thing is how they are eternal. It's going to stretch until who knows, maybe it goes all the way up to before in game. We just don't know yet. Um, so the first real look at phase four and moving the ball forward, moving the story forward is WandaVision. And uh, in the first two episodes, there are an incredible amount of hints and Easter eggs. There is a disembodied hand that I have a theory on who that is. There's all kinds of things, but it's exciting because with Eternals and with Black Widow, we're really not necessarily moving the story forward. And with WandaVision, we are. But it's moving forward at a glacial pace that people are people are used to getting a lot of answers in the first 15 minutes of a marvel movie this is nine episodes they're all about 27 minutes a piece and each one so far has been taking place in a different decade even though the first episode is a parody of dick van dyke which was in the 60s it's it's because uh, it it goes 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and that's that's as far as we know so far. And the first episode, the 50s, is a parody of the Dick Van Dyke show. The second episode is the 60s. It's a parody of the Brady. I'm sorry, of Bewitched. The third episode is the 70s. It's a parody of the Brady Bunch. And in two weeks, the fourth episode is a parody of Family Ties. So they go all the, all the way up. I, I, I'm sure in the 90s we will we'll get something you know, like Seinfeld or friends. I mean, they well, could obviously um, I do believe this every the 90s is they're they're talking about making fun of Elizabeth Olsen's sisters in full house. That would be incredible. Uh, that would really be incredible. But so for people who don't know what WandaVision is, it, it, you know, there really is no succinct way that we can sum it up in two minutes. There just is house of so, M. Is it house well, of M uh, ish? Ish. I mean, there was a miniseries by Steve Englehart back in the 80s, a uh, 12-issue miniseries called Vision and the Scarlet Witch. It seems to be very much based on that. But what I will say is, if you have followed the Marvel movies, if you've watched everything up to Endgame and, and Spider-Man Far From Home, then you know that Vision's things do not dead. end well for Vision and Scarlet Witch. So all of a sudden, you have them in in television sitcoms. Like, what, how does that make any kind of sense? And so that's where we're at with this show. Now, I do, I will mention, since it has been a long time since Endgame came out, and even Far From Home, even though Far From Home shouldn't matter, but it's been a long time since you've even seen Wanda, and that was just her trying to rip the hell out of Thanos. Right. Disney Plus has these the, a separate show right now. It's called Legends, and it gives a five-minute refresher course on both Wanda and vision. So if you've not done that yet, if you've not started WandaVision yet, I strongly suggest you watch Legends first because that will give you you'll get you'll actually I actually picked up on one hidden reference because of that because I'd forgotten, you know, last Age of Ultron was when both of these characters were inter introduced. And if you haven't seen Age of Ultron in 5 6 years, you're not going to know who created 
Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. Yeah, or 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 who created Vision as well, and what kind of creature he is. So let's turn the floor over to Lynn Venhouse for a moment because I, I'm anxious to get your take on these episodes. You grew up at this time, right? So I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the parody. I enjoyed the characters. Deborah Joe Rupp. Deborah Joe Rupp. She's a sitcom legend playing a sitcom trope. Yes, and then Catherine Hahn as the neighbor as the uh you know the with the racy lines and then the uh emma caulfield from buffy so it's just really um it was very delightful i just don't know like why did marvel put them in a 50s neighborhood like are they protecting from the from the cold war russians what are we doing here that's what we, i we don't know. know any of that lynn well we, we don't we, know we well you know we do know here's what we do know as far as the mcu goes because you know carl was making reference to house of m i was talking about a mini series called vision and scarlet witch but really it's it's neither of those it's just mcu and kevin figgy is always going to do what he's going to do uh but what we do know is scarlet witch among her powers She's able to bend reality. And so when you look at what happened to both her and Vision after Endgame and, and you know, Far From Home, uh, things don't end well. And so it seems to me to point that she has created an alternate reality for them to be happy in. And at one point over the radio, somebody is saying, who is doing this to you, Wanda? And do you know who, who that somebody is? It's uh, Randall Pack from Ant-Man and Wasp, who was Scott Lang's parole officer. So, but you don't know that until you watch the credits because there are a lot of things in this that are very subtle. They don't, they, it, it is well, very at nuanced. End, at the end of the episode, uh, both episodes, you have this wall of TVs sort of watching what we're watching. And there's a hand that's kind of uh, shuffling papers or moving a mouse. A and female are, hand. Yeah, there are symbols uh, that, that point to something. Uh, or organization sword. called sword which is a division of, of shield so it it almost feels like perhaps shield and sword have entrapped them uh for some reason or this, i still maintain this is wanda's doing because that's that's what it was in the book so it's super interesting to see what they're doing and it's so very different from what the mcu has done but it's a it, to it's that a strange point, way to kick off phase four to to that point max episode three gives you it's so it is it's very slow moving and we've i've seen the first three episodes these two have seen the first two episodes the the third episode gives you just a little bit more of a peak of sword and sword the sword symbols are everywhere and in episode two they introduce another new person who We've already met in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but you don't know that yet, and everyone's already talking about it. It's Monica Rambeau, who is the child that Captain Marvel gives her jacket to at the end of Captain Marvel. And Max, knowing knowing what you know about her, but you, they don't introduce her as Monica. They no, they don't. And you know, I, I I've been spoiled on that just from the internet. But yeah, in the uh, in the but they um, said they said that's who she's playing. In the illusion uh, and glamour episode, which is a reference from the miniseries that I talked about, they, they yeah. actually go to see magicians named that. And uh, and it's, you know, but by the way, Paul Bettany, we haven't even talked about how wonderful he is, almost playing a dual role of this android and, and, and this human. And then Elizabeth Olsen 
has chops Fantastic. when it comes to comedy. And I, I don't think people have ever let her do that. She's always done more dramatic fare and superhero well, stuff. Bethany, so too. Bethany, you've never seen his light touch mm-hmm. like this. True. It's no, good to see. no, no. I uh, like um, I like the gum part. The gum part was really clever. The the sixties animation is very clever. The director of all these, the director and writer are two two. The all nine episodes have the same director and writer. The uh, the writer is Jack Schaefer, and she wrote Black Widow that's coming up. But Matt Shackman, who is the director. He was a child actor. He was on the Growing Pains spinoff, Just the Ten of Us. So he knows his way around a three-camera sitcom because he lived that as a child. So the, the expertise and the set design and the production design and just the little things, especially when they break that tradition, like when you've got the three-camera sitcom going on and then that's not the three camera sitcom you know that you're supposed to pay attention well i think the the whole premise like elizabeth uh olsen acting like uh samantha on bewitch or laura petrie are when she's trying to she's like the 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 woman that controls all the women uh she's terrified of her and emma and caulfield says, from buffy she's she Anya. Says, she's the love demon she says some of those things, you know, and, and uh, she's terrified of being found out. So I thought that that was that whole thing, like kind of like the Coneheads, if you think about it, you know, We're from France. Cause they have to come up with like, when, when they ask them about like how long they're married and why don't they have kids? And, and then they look at each other and they just, ha 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 ha. You know? <laughs> well, well, and oh, you know, oh. it, it, it kind of uh, hints to, and I, I'm, I'm going to, listening to this podcast at least in the first two episodes but we talked about one controlling reality and you talked about why they don't have kids and you saw what happened at the end of the second episode so i think that uh it's an interesting sort of fantasy world they find themselves in, but it's not s- sustainable right well and right well you guys would catch on the clues like when that helicopter was in the bushes and well, it was well that's because it's it's in color it's got the sh- uh the sword logo on it and nothing else is in color and like if you go back to the first episode the stark enterprise toaster with just the red flashing light it's pretty it's pretty jarring and fred melamed should be in everything playing he played vision's boss oh it was perfect in the first episode oh yeah he's he was on um the spinoff from uh, Children's Hospital that was on Netflix last year called uh, was it Doctor Cops or Cop Doctors. It was me strong Carl Reiner vibes from Dick Van Dyke. Medical that, Police. You know. That's what yeah. it was. It was Medical Police. And he was great in that. But he's 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 amazing in this. And then he doesn't show he's up anymore. He's like Mel Cooley from, yes. you know, exactly. and, and, from Dick yeah. Van Dyke. Right. And 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 uh, Lumpy Rutherford's dad in uh, Beaver. So you brought up the uh, the toaster. You know that's a really at first I that's cute. You know Stark toaster, haha. But it's handled so seriously in the show. And then I I remembered as you were pointing out earlier from Age of Ultron, Pietro and Wanda when, when their parents were killed uh, by, by, by Stark, Stark. Uh, bombs. That there was one that did not explode. And they sat there for like days for it to go off. And I think that's the toaster that, 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 that trauma from, uh, from that 
Uh, and then, of course, you got the, the watch, which, if you pause it, has the Hydra symbol on it. So it, uh, I, it ha- I went back and I watch it. And it's also it's also Hydra. And the name of the guy is the guy who created them in his lab. Right. Right. Exactly. So there are a lot of uh, Easter eggs. And the only other thing that this would be considered, it could possibly be considered a gigantic spoiler. But I, I feel comfortable talking about it only because I don't know what. Evans are going to do. I don't know what he's going to do. But in the miniseries I was talking about called Vision and Scarlet Witch, when Wanda creates this suburban life for her and Vision, and they've got kids and everything, and everything is is wonderful and excellent, uh, there is a uh, there is a sorceress, a witch named Agatha, who masquerades as a neighbor. And at a certain point in the books, She's looking at Wanda Vision. She's like, you know this, you know this isn't real, don't you? you know? And she becomes she kind of is the one to break them out of it. And so for me, that feels like a Catherine Hahn type. She's the haha neighbor that Agnes, she's actually Agatha. Yeah, exactly. She actually knows what's going on, and that makes her uh, just a, a wonderful choice for that character. If that's what they're going to do, but they could also think, well, here's what the comic book nerds like Max are going to think we're going to do, and we won't. I mean, they've digged and Zach knows. Well, well, episode well, three, you, let's, oh, go ahead, Lynn. I was going to say, how many episodes are there going to be? Nine. Nine. And my daughter counted it out. She goes, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, current day. And she says, that's only eight. And I said, well, that gives them an episode to figure out what they're doing for phase four. It's very clever. It's just very, very, from somebody who's not as tuned in as you guys are, although I've seen all the movies, but, but I'm glad you told me Carl to watch the legends. Cause I did. And did that help you? Yes. Good. Cause, Cause I think that's what people should do now. Episode three, max a little bit about what you say happens, oh. but it's still very slow. And it, okay. this is the first time that any, in any of these things, and I'm not even counting the Netflix stuff, which technically was MCU, but these are the first time that these characters are allowed to stretch their legs. And it seems weird that they chose Wanda and Vision because, you know, all of a sudden we just found out that they were dating. Well, they weren't dating. They were just cooped up and then on the run together. So, but now they're married, maybe. They don't know. And I, it seems Wanda is the only one that knows what's going on because Vision does not. That's because I don't think he's really there, but we'll see. Well, well uh, episode three gives you a lot more clues. I can't wait. That's why I told you guys yesterday I was digging into the rabbit hole and Dan's like, we know you saw one more episode than us. And I said, no, that's not it. I'm trying to find out more because I, I am thirsty for this. It's been a long time since we've seen anything. Dan who? Who are you talking about? Our buddy Dan Buffa. Oh, okay. Okay, of course. He was the one who watched The Dig twice. Yes. <laughs> and, All right. Uh, well, uh, just FYI, if you haven't seen Promising Young Woman, it is now available video on demand. So you It's don't my have, favorite movie of the year, so I've been told. So you don't have to go uh, to the theater if you don't want to. And then News of the World, the Tom Hanks western is also on video on demand i i liked news of the world it's not it's not like it's better than average (laughs) it's it's good but it's not it's not 
like top tier. That's a it's better than average. Well, no, because, you know, we were just talking the other day of like some movies are great. Some movies are fine. Some movies are crap. It's it's not it's it's in it's an insult to say that movie's fine because it's better. It's not great, but it is. First of all, it's Tom Hanks. Second of all, it's a Western. That's why Max doesn't like it. And there and Max, did you even see it yet? No, I, I'm putting it off. It's I don't really like Paul Greengrass normally. I mean, of course, a couple of his films, wonderful, but eh. it's a Western, but it's better. I think you should try it. Do you like Unforgiven? Yeah, of course. Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, Unforgiven's great. Tombstone 310 to Yuma was good. I mean, sure, there are options. It unfolds like a novel, but it's very beautiful. I think uh, I think foreign directors um, are enamored with the American West, and right. I think that they have a special eye, uh, and that's why I was I was kept I was the the second half is way better than the first. I I had a it stop is a slow at midway. Start. Yeah, it is a very slow start, but then the second half makes up for the first. Is it better or worse than the other uh, Western that came out last year called Let Him Go? Yes. Yes. Well, this has yes. grander this has grander themes. Yes. Has, but, but it's also that's a these are both they're both period pieces. One is in the um unspecified past. This yeah. is like right after the Civil War. And there's some there's a really good shootout with a Michael Angelo Covino from the climb playing a scumbag uh, and uh, his friends. And the girl in it is very good from Germany. Helena Z- Zingle. She's very good. And of course, Tom Hanks. I mean, Tom Hanks. Sure. Tom of Hanks. One of He's the best. Great. All right. So do we want to give any hints? Because by the time this airs, all of the stuff will have been announced on the St. Louis Film Critics Association. Um, well, uh, we all gave our top 10 list and, and Carl and Max, uh, you had your show. That's right. And- yes, we did our annual top 10 uh, best and worst, or as Carl likes to say, most disappointing, most disappointing of the year. We only did five of those for 2020, but uh, it was tough getting them down to 10 best films. And I think both of us had multiple honorable mentions. I didn't think I had so many, but then Carl kept putting ones up there that I thought, Oh yes, that was almost made my list. So, but it was a good year in film. I mean, I I know that there are many films in my top five that I will watch multiple times going forward. Yeah. I was really surprised at, um, well, because I think I didn't care that we didn't have the big blockbusters. I don't care that I got to wait for top Gun to Maverick. And I don't care that I have to wait for fast and furious and all that kind of yeah, stuff. But you know what? I would have enjoyed to see the Eternals, especially after nomad land. Yeah. But I'm just saying what we did see was very rich storytelling. And I think it was a really good year for movies. Look at The Assistant and never, rarely, always, sometimes. Would we have watched those? Maybe not. Well, Max, I want to ask you a question that I asked last week, and Lynn has already answered this. But do you think since last year in movies was so good with so many small films that them pushing off all the big movies, is that going to make this year, 2021, better or worse for movies? 
I think it's going to be interesting to see when the movie theaters really open up. I mean, I'm hoping April, May, June, but it really depends on the vaccine rollout. I mean, it really is tied to COVID-19. I mean, obviously one of our hosts here, Lynn Vinhouse, has COVID right now while we are talking. And so you can't really do a forecast of the year in movies when you don't know when these movies will come out. No Time to Die, the next James Bond film, has already been pushed back again. And they're looking at either uh, October or November. Uh, and so I have no guarantee that Black Widow, uh, Fast and Furious, uh, you know, Eternals, any of these things will actually be coming out until the theaters are open and the studios can make their billions of dollars. So we might actually be in a half and half year like we were in 2020. I mean, there were blockbusters that came out. Birds of Prey came out, a giant DC movie. And so, you know, we might have some of those later in the year, but we, we might be looking at, at June or July until they even come out. Well, Wonder Woman 1984 did make uh, millions of dollars in a theater, uh, and uh, we all watched it on HBO Max. HBO but that's, Max. Also, that's also a worldwide release. I mean, it didn't make millions of dollars here in the States. I mean, it, it came out. It, you it, know, did, it made millions of dollars here in the States, like $13 million. Okay. In the States. But, okay. But, but you're right. Box office you're right. Um, in the countries that have COVID under control. Right. Exactly. The countries with leadership, you know. Anyhow, so right. do are we going to announce right here before, I mean, by the time this airs, we already know what the St. Louis Film Critics Association has picked as their best film. Let's Lynn, do it. What was it? What? You don't want to say? I, I have to have I a just list wanna, anyway, I, so I, I just can wanna, tweet I just want to tease that women have a very good year with the 2020 uh, St. Louis Film Critics Association votes. And I think we did a really good job of um, discerning this year. I think our nominations are great. And if you don't know where our nominations are, go to stlfilmcritics.org and you can see our list of nominations. Max tweeted them out last week. And this week, uh, today, uh, after we do this, uh, he is going to tweet out our winners. So they're already out there. Yet she 20. won't say because it's going to be, she doesn't, she doesn't want to mess with the timeline. So go to STL critics. No, no, no. Is it stlfilmcritics.org? Is that where it is? Yeah. STL I got asked this on KMOX the other day and I had no idea. Yeah. Well, anyway, go also, there. And, it's stlfilmcritics.org. And then Max will be doing the tweets. STL film critics. They're already up by the time people hear this, they're up. That's right. Well, so I'm one, just saying, I don't, think, I don't think there's any surprises. Was it Nomad Land? Was it Promising Young Woman? <gasps> She's not saying. She I'm not saying. saying. I'm just saying it's a good year for, it's a good year for uh, women. For women. You said that. But I, you know, yeah, but and, I love this. And our, I, will I will tease <laughs> out that our, uh, our supporting actor and actress, uh, nobody ever heard of till this year. Lynn won't tell us, but right after we're done zooming, she's going to send me all the winners so I can tweet them out. That's hilarious. Yeah. Well, well I, no, I guess I, well, we Lynn, suspense. we, we do. Yeah. But by the time <laughs> in the world, they're already out there. And also I'd say, um, it looks like I can tell you right now that Carrie Mulligan won for promising young man. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I corrected that. Okay, good. And I'm guessing that, the best supporting actress is someone playing a grandma. Could be. Okay. 
a movie that's not out yet, which is a crime because it should be out. And everybody should see it because it's wonderful. And it would have gotten more votes if people would see it more. Max has not seen it yet. It's true. You need to see that. You you like Stephen Young, too. I know. I will watch it. I'm not opposed to watching it. I've got a stack of movies to watch. I will watch it. Yeah, he was, number, he was number six. He was number six for our in our best actor. So he just missed it. Just missed it. Dang it. But you know, that's the way it that's the way it is. But now uh, Max and I are in the Critics Choice Association. So now we have to vote in February. And so now we have all the leftover movies that they're pushing on us now, like Malcolm White and Tiger. Marie. Judas and the Black Messiah and uh, the Little Things. You know, and- I wouldn't call them leftover movies because I think, especially when it comes Oscar to something, nominations. Well, that's the thing. I think that they're intentionally releasing them now to get Oscar buzz, especially the Zendaya movie and the Daniel Kaluuya movie. I think that they want Oscar noms. I mean, the Oscars. I'm not even convinced they're going to happen in April, but they say they are. And so, um, I forgot, Lynn, that we have to do CCA, and that's why I'm still getting. Uh, uh, screeners. I'm like, why am I still getting screeners? Award season's over. This is the longest award season. Oh, ever. And it's like, you know, I I worked hard on that list. I saw 170 movies last year. I worked hard on this list. And so for these movies to bump my stuff already out, I don't know. But I will say Daniel Kaluuya, because we're embargoed till February 1st for Judas and the Black Messiah. So I cannot give a full review. Which is going to be on HBO Max. But this is the first movie after Wonder Woman 1984 that is going to debut in theaters and on HBO Max. And by the way, did you know that if you have HBO Max, Wonder Woman's leaving in a week? Yeah. It's only on till January 24th. And then um, now Judas is going to open at Sundance too. Okay. But I will say, if you are a fan of Daniel Kaluuya and uh, from Lakeith Get Out Stanfield, or from Black Panther or yeah, Widows and, and Lakeith Stanfield, which who I just think is fabulous, that it is the true FBI story of the assassination of Fred Hampton, the Black Panther leader from Chicago, and the FBI informant played by Lakeith Stanfield, who ratted him out. Wow, so you could watch this after watching Aaron Sorkin's Trial of Chicago 7 because that is a small thing that happens during that movie. And you can say, wait a minute, I want to see more about that and then watch this one as a follow-up. Yeah, a good and double feature. The guy, yeah, the guy that directed it, Shaka King, he also did the screenplay. He is, um, um, uh, Ryan Coogler is his mentor. And he's nice. Ryan Coogler's a uh, producer on the film, I believe. So there's very much influence, but I will say those two actors, Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield, that's a game changer if we're looking at stuff. And I know there's other movies that have buzz. And, and Jesse Plemons is the white devil. Actually, who who plays his boss? Who's who's in a whole Martin bunch of makeup? Martin Sheen plays J. Edgar Hoover. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And he's got a lot of makeup on, Jedgar. Going back to uh, our awards, uh, I did get a screener for Wonder Woman 84, so that's nice. And I wanted to ask Lynn, because she keeps all of our ballots, was I the only person who nominated Pedro Pascal for Best Supporting Actor? Yes. You were. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't my number one, but I thought that would be really great if I threw that in there. <laughs> I'm the only person that voted for Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman. I was really shocked at that. 
So let's, Max, is there anything that you want to recommend besides WandaVision for everyone that is uh, just getting back into watching movies again? This hmm. is a fantastic question. You're putting me on the spot. I think that on well, Amazon. That, that means it's a true answer if it comes off the top of your head. I think on Amazon Prime, you can watch Sound of Metal. And this is a film that, uh, to answer Lynn's question from earlier, if we would have had giant blockbusters, I don't know if people would have uh, seeked this movie out. And it features an incredible performance from Riz Ahmed and a great supporting role from Paul Racy. Uh, Olivia Cook is very good. It's an authentic movie. It's about hearing loss, but it's really about finding your place in the world. And I, I loved it. It was something that when I first watched it, I thought that's fine. And then as I told Carl, it stuck with me for two weeks. So that would be something that you could watch on Prime if you have a membership to Amazon. Um, if you have not watched Soul on Disney Plus, I have good news. You don't have to pay extra to watch it like Mulan. And if you haven't watched it yet because you already saw a Pixar film last year called Onward and you thought, eh, I don't want to watch another one. No, 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 no. This one's good. This is the good one. Yeah. <laughs> And I, you know, since you mentioned Amazon Prime, I'm still going to try to get both of you to watch Mangrove, which is part of Steve McQueen's Small Axe series. And yes, I'll, everyone's talking about Lover's Rock, which is also good, but I liked Mangrove much better. And if you're comparing it to the Trial of Chicago Seven, which it is, this is a, it's taking place at the same time, and they both reference each other. Mangrove is a better film. All right. Well, just real quick, I'm going to go over just the video on demand in case anybody really wants to watch these. The MLK FBI documentary, which Carl did not like. I didn't like it. And I, then, because um, there's, no, there's no here's why I didn't like it. It's all leading up to some papers that are going to be released in a couple years. I don't know why you would make this movie now. There have been so many things about this already. Do it when the papers come out. Right. And it is, it's just like two, three years from now. It's That's treading it's water. Thinking. Yeah. So um, there is also a Liam Neeson movie out in theaters called The Marksman. <laughs> and then The Dissident, which you did see. I'm sorry, I did. It's now available theaters and video on demand. I watched the first one, Kingdom of Silence, which is about Khashoggi's murder. So then I start watching The Dissident, and I'm like, why am I watching this? I just watched another movie. So I. But he's, he's in it a lot. Jamal Khashoggi is in The Dissident a lot. His direct involvement, even though he has passed away, I'm sorry, was murdered. Um, he is in it a lot. It just makes you mad at the government of Saudi Arabia and the governments that are willing participants in working with Saudi Arabia, including ours. Yeah, it does make you mad. And it is directed by Ryan Fogel, who, who did, did Icarus. Um, Icarus, which is very, very, very good. And then uh, Ammonite is on a video on demand, which you both really like. No, we didn't both really liked it. We were both surprised by it. And it is DVD, Blu-ray, too, if you do that stuff. Oh, so you it can does pause feature, it. It does feature probably the best scene of 2020 that we did not nominate. And then Assassins, which is a really good documentary. It is about the two women who killed Kim Jong-un's half-brother in broad daylight at the airport. So were they pawns or were they called blooded assassins? And it's a Korean documentary. It's really good. And that is available. And then Fatale, which is one of the worst movies of the year, with Hilary Swank and Michael Ely. Is it Fatale um, or Fatal? 
Oh yeah, I, I see. Fatale. It's, it's like fa femme, it's it's fa femme fatale. Femme fatale. So so Every time fatale. I look at it, I say fatale because it just. But I watched it. I watched you're Italian. I watched the whole thing, and Joe asked me to mention it, and so I said I'd mention it. But it is really—if you want to watch a really bad movie with Hillary Swank, you know, as, if, if as somebody a, asks as a you, femme fatale, it's like it's like a fatal attraction. If somebody asks you how a movie is, and you and you say I watched the whole thing, that tells you how the movie is. I forced <laughs> myself to watch the whole thing. I know. Well, let me tell you, you could have turned this off a couple times. But um, Martin Eden, which got some votes from our critics, uh, uh -huh. it is available on demand on Tuesday. Right. So we have that. And then there's a movie about the lockdown called Lockdown, which I went on. I, I saw this on HBO Max last night and I said, you know what? I'm not going to watch this. Well, I saw a clip to it, and it's like, but it's Doug Lyman who did Swingers. Yes. Well, it's Anne Hathaway, right? It's Anne Hathaway right. and... Uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor. Yes. Chiwetel Ejiofor. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so... Well, I, I like all three of them, so maybe it's fantastic. Yeah, so that is it. And then on HBO, Real Time with Bill Maher has returned and the circus has returned on Showtime. And we are having a change in administration on Wednesday, the inauguration. And if you're wondering, you what's hope. The, what's the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, since we're all we're all wondering what's going to happen. But you know how with COVID, they're not going to have the big balls and everything. So I was looking up oh. what's happening with the entertainment. Tom Hanks, speaking of national treasures, is going to host a TV event that evening that's going to have Bruce Springsteen and John Legend and all these Bon uh, Jovi, John Bobby, John Bon Jovi, and all these famous people. Yes, and that, and Lady then Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga is singing the national anthem. Is Three the, Doors Down going to be there? No, no, nor Kid Rock, darn it. Not well, gonna you know be. what? Three Doors Down is like, hey, they asked us, and why wouldn't we say yes? So I don't fault Three Doors Down at all. No, so that's the, that's the only thing I got right now. So anything else, guys? Or uh, Yeah, most people, I hope, are watching the hockey game on Wednesday night at 8 o'clock. Blues hockey starts again on Monday with 300 first responders in the building. And hopefully you'll be able to hear my music, but I don't think you will because of the artificial crowd noise. You won't be able to hear that on the TV. Aww. Which means I'm going to be playing music for the players because they're the only ones that are going to hear it. And I'd like to remind everybody to go to ktrs.com slash maxonmovies. That's where you can hear Carl and myself talk about movies. We're also interviewing people. It's fantastic. It's wonderful. It's worth your time and uh, money. Seeing as how it's free. So that's ktrs.com slash maxonmovies. And of course, follow me on Twitter at maxonmovies. And thank you again to the Real Times Trio, Lynn Van House and Carl, the intern movement, for having me on the show. And shout out to Ron Stevens. It was nice to talk to you, Ron. Always a delight. And we look forward to your Twitter today. You can find me on the socials at underscore Carl the intern on Instagram and Twitter right now, because I'll be doing hockey stuff again. And Lynn, where can they find you? 
I'm in the Webster Kirkwood Times, and we have our top 10 list up, uh, Kent and I. And then I am on KTRS, uh, all in the know with Ray Hartman, every Thursday evening at 1030. And uh, then I have my own website, which is a work in progress. And then we're here, Carl, every week. Yes. Bye, everyone. Lynn, get well. Bye-bye. Stay safe. Wear your masks. Take care.